When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. And welcome to the show, everybody. Make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast because we have new episodes coming out every Monday. Uh, but if you've been around for a while uh, and you have an artist that you'd like us to talk about, let us know by messaging us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we have a lot of really good submissions coming in, so get them in quick. And last thing, if you love the show and you want to support, click the Patreon link below and become a patron. You get episodes early and special access to our favorite segment, which is the Bad Music Podcast, where we talk all about the six worst songs of the artist that week, which brings us to the mystery artist that Lucas last week, uh, you you said that we this is uh, new territory for everybody, and you've kind of been hyping up how long the research took. So kind of give us give us some insight. Okay, so we are going into a brand new uh, area of music today. We are going to be going into the realm of country music. Oh, no. I never, I literally never would have even guessed. I would not have. It was so far off of the radar that we would never do it. Now, those of you who have listened to people, you, you know that I have a disdain for country music soft spot for the old country music it's Um, in my opinion it's it's more it's more real it's more authentic and even since i was or ever since i was quite young there's been an artist that's kind of stuck around with me for a long time the artist that we're going to be talking about tonight the man in black johnny cash there we go i'm excited this is going to be really fun i remember hearing johnny cash for the first time when i was like nine or ten years old like what before i got the the ipad or the ipod that my dad gave me with all of the the music that kind of propelled me along this journey johnny cash was one of those rare artists before then that i kind of had a bit of an obsession with because um it was about that time when the the movie i walked the line came out and i remember going to see that movie I was like one of the first PG-13 movies I ever watched. And I got the soundtrack. I listened to it a bunch. But I, I never listened to the originals. But I remember really liking those songs. And um, just over the years, anytime I would hear Johnny Cash, I'd be like, I like this. And I kind of had to figure, take some time to kind of figure out why do I hate most country music, but I like Johnny Cash. Why do you think that is? 
the country. But we'll uh, we'll go ahead and jump into kind of the the first thought. I think of Johnny Cash, what you know about him, what your preconceived notions are. So, Grant, what do you feel about Johnny Cash? Oh, boy. Well, I agree with you about country as a whole. Like, I think that, like all genres, once you put them through the filter of time, the the better stuff weeds itself out. And so, like, I have that predisposition towards country where I think the older stuff is better and the newer stuff is not as good. Um, kind of like with pop. Um. And Johnny Cash, I always thought Johnny Cash was like a joke artist, like Tim Hawkins or something. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, but I also I knew that he did real songs too. But I thought he did like stranger, like funny concept songs more. Well, you're not completely wrong, and I'll we'll we'll get into that later. Okay, good. So I'm not, I'm not completely out of left field. Okay, I know that he did do a cover of. Uh, hurt which was a song from last week and i just i discovered that on a on a some youtube compilation of popular covers i didn't even know his cover was very popular but um i don't know a whole lot about just country as a whole i don't know a whole lot about johnny cash i know there are a lot of die hard johnny cash fans i know there's a lot of posthumous or posthumous or however you pronounce it uh <laughs> releases of his um or his estate but other than that i just i don't know anything i didn't even know he had that large of a catalog oh yeah so where where on so you would put yourself at a five on the scale yeah i think i just kind of have to put myself as a five for those of you that are new this is a scale one to ten on how much we like the artist so typically we don't know who they are and have no idea of what they are like we put them at a five. Yep. Ethan, what are your thoughts? Oh man, I I know of I know of Johnny Cash. I know. I mean, I mean, everybody knows Ring of Fire. It's, it's Johnny like, Cash song. Yeah. What? See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> oh, so you literally? Okay. You know, ab- absolutely nothing. I know the name okay. and I know the songs. I just don't know they go together. Yeah, I know. I know of the Man in Black thing. I know. Um, I mean, I kind of, I guess, know. I think he was like he was kind of in with like Waylon Jennings and like Willie Nelson and those guys, right? Yeah, uh, they, him. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, and Chris Christopherson were all uh, part of what was called the Outlaw Movement. And they even formed a supergroup together, the four of them called the Highwaymen. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I just knew, like, I, I was like, those guys are usually talked about in the same circle. They're, they're, yeah. That's one of the biggest reasons because they did that project together. But okay, cool. really, what it was is that Johnny Cash was older than they are and he's kind of like the originator of it and then they were kind of like the next generation that came up behind him oh cool but yeah like i walked the line you know that's johnny cash song um yes it is but other than those i think i have a positive 
I, I have a positive disposition of him, but I think I would still be at a five because I don't, I don't, we, we've rated a six of, I kind of like it. Uh-huh. So maybe, maybe I'm a six where it's like, whenever I hear Johnny Cash, it, it's more of like this weird nostalgia thing though, where it's like, Oh, Johnny Cash. Like I kind of feel like a cowboy whenever I listen to it. And then that's, that's kind of as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, like I said earlier, I've, I, have had a long history with Johnny Cash, although I would not say that it was a involved history. Um, the movie was kind of my biggest moment before now of listening to him. And um, I would, you know, he was someone that I liked and knew a fair amount of songs of, but like had never listened to any of his albums or really had gotten into more of his hits. Like I could probably name off like, four or five of his big songs and say I really like those songs um, and so I would say before this episode I probably stood at a seven to where like I understood who he was I understood his impact at least enough I didn't realize how much it was until getting ready for the episode but <laughs> Um, like I, I, I knew why he was important. I knew that he was one of the Titans and kind of was the godfather of country music pretty much. And that he, you know, changed the genre forever, but I didn't, I didn't know the extent of his history or the extent of that catalog. So I would say that a, a, a solid seven is, is where I start. So um, let's talk about the man in black. I don't know where to start. So just start, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. uh, He is from Dice, Arkansas. And he pretty much like he grew up on all of the gospel hymnals. So he's, he's a very devout Christian. Like uh, I would say like a third of his albums are gospel albums. Wow. Wow. And um, and that kind of always provided one of the most curious aspects of his life is the fact that he was such a Christian, yet drugs pretty much controlled him almost his entire life. Hmm. And he was a ruthless rebel. He had this this extreme light and this extreme extreme dark that always fought against each other, and you can hear it in his lyrics as someone that was conflicted someone that wanted badly to do right be god's shining example and yet he also had that dark side that he could never control whether that be drugs or alcohol or infidelity or just all around recklessness um Mm -hmm. He, he was one of the very first artists to perfect the art of the hotel trash, destroying a room and a, a dressing room. And like, he was one that was like, you don't, you don't mess with Johnny Cash. He was a tough man, a rough man. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this, it was, you could see it in just the fact that the reason he was the man in black was because he always wore solid black all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, especially wow. that, that was such a significant thing in the 70s when 
most of the country artists were what you would call rhinestone cowboys. That was like Dolly Parton. Yeah. And Glenn Campbell and kind of all those guys that were very glitzy. And, you know, you wear your the the bright colored cowboy outfits. Yeah. And he just always insisted on just wearing black all the time. And I think that it was just it was a it was a there was a somberness to him. Yet at the same time he had this light side. How you were saying, Grant, that you thought that he was a comedy uh, mm-hmm. performer. There would be times where he would do these joke-like songs, you know, songs like A Boy Named Sue and uh, One Piece at a Time, which was a, a song about a guy that couldn't afford a nice car, but he worked at an auto shop. And so he got his nice car by stealing one piece at a time from the from the auto shop. Mm-hmm. Or um, a story about a a hobo that has never been given his fair due in life, and so he sneaks into a fancy hotel and steals a, one piece of strawberry cake, and ends up getting busted over it. But he said it was, you know, it's just he he plays it for laughs a lot. There it's like some... weird story. It's like weird life lesson storytelling. Yes. Because like something like with a boy named Sue, the whole point of that story being uh, that his his father left him and when he was born and named him Sue, and he always hated him for it because he always got made fun of. But the whole moral of the story is he finds his father and he said, the reason I gave you that name is because it made you tough. And I knew that I wasn't going to be there to take care of you, so I gave you a, a name that would make you take care of yourself. And so that's – it's. Johnny Cash always had a a message, and I think that that's ultimately what made him so impactful to so many people is his lyrics. He's he's really like he's country's Bob Dylan, and it's no surprise that the two of them were very close friends. Really, and, and, and even duetted together once on one of Bob Dylan's records. Um. Bob Dylan said that a big reason why he got into music was because of Johnny Cash. Yeah, he's I mean he is one of like the the He's one I, of the I would he's like one of the great 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 like pinnacles of of modern music probably. Yeah. I would say that I would say that few have he's he's up there with the the Springsteen and the Dylan and and the Lennons and all those guys that are considered the was, greatest. Was he around with Elvis? Yep. In fact, he was. Uh, so, are you guys familiar with Sun Records? Yes. Mm-hmm. Not exactly. Small. That was the label that discovered Elvis. Okay. Um, Johnny Cash was their next client after Elvis. Oh, so they. So they they toured together. They knew each other. They weren't friends, but they like they recorded in the same studio. Um, Sam Phillips was the guy that was in charge of Sun. He he discovered Elvis, and then right after that, discovered Johnny Cash. So Johnny Cash, his first records came out in '55. Wow! And he got big pretty quick. Uh, his first single was a hit, a top ten country hit. 
Uh, unfortunately, he never had any crossover number one singles, but the times that he was in his hit-making days, country was a fringe, fringe genre. In fact, he that was... so crazy to even think of because country is like a massive force. Oh, even, yeah. Like, even today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that really didn't happen until the 90s. The 90s was when country had its big... That's when, you know, when Achy Breaky Hard and... Um, Shania Twain and Faith Hill and Tim McGraw and all those guys came out in the 90s. That's kind of like when country like finally had its big explosion. But the whole reason that it even started moving that way in the first place was because of Johnny Cash. His uh, his song, I Walk the Line, is still the best-selling country song of all time. I feel like even... I feel like country also has this like... The one thing I, I appreciate about country is I feel like all country artists like very much so respect everyone that came before them. Like mm-hmm. country people like have a have a good respect for the past. Yeah. Yeah, so but yeah, he so he knew Elvis, he knew Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh if you remember Carl Perkins Grant from our Elvis episode. Uh, mm. He uh, he was the one that originally did blue suede shoes, and he, we did our bonus song. Oh yes, be my baby. I remember now. Uh, he was also part of uh, that group that came from Sun Records. It ended up becoming Johnny Cash's permanent touring partner, and would be his guitar player for a good long time. Wow! Like they were very close friends. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, so he was he was part of that that initial launch. So he's he was there almost really from the beginning of modern music. He predates the Beatles and Bob Dylan and the Stones and even all of the all of the soul singers, Motown. Like he he's as early as Elvis. But he was still making music for He didn't stop making music until just about the day he died in wow. two thousand so he releases a record first and it does well yes yeah, so the first single immediately which was uh, hey porter and uh or no it was cry 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 and i'm so doggone loathsome that was his first single and it went to like number 12 on the country chart and he had that he had an initial we'll talk about the three big periods for Johnny Cash. So the the first big period was the very first period. He was hot. A lot of his big hits that you would recognize come from those first days when he was with Sun Records. Oh, so it was I, with I Walked the Line came in the first like yep. round. Mm-hmm. Songs like Get Rhythm and Folsom Prison Blues and Cry Cry Cry, uh Hey Porter. How old was he whenever all of this like whenever he found the, his he, fame, uh, he was I think twenty three when his first single was released. Wow! So he he went to the Air Force first, and uh, instead of going to college, he went to the Air Force. Got married right when he got back, and immediately started having kids. And like he already had like two kids when he recorded his first record. Well, just just did it because it was something he wanted to do. Um, 
so you have the Sun Record days, which lasted from like fifty seven or fifty five to fifty eight, and then that's when he moved to Columbia Records, where he stayed there for almost thirty years. And um, once he switched to Columbia, that's when he first started to get on drugs. His big weakness was amphetamines, pills. So not methamphetamine, not not like crystal meth or anything, but mm-hmm. it was a very common drug back in that time before people realized that it was bad. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a tour bus driver, and so he had to drive himself between every gig. And most of the time, the tours were not planned very well to where they were logical, where like you follow a path through the country – It's like you're going to have a a concert in Nashville. Then next you're going to be in Boston. And then after that you'll be in Atlanta. And there's like a day in between. And so what he would not fall asleep at the wheels, he would take these uppers to just keep him awake and give him energy. Well, he ended up getting to the point where he was taking 15 to 20 a day. Man. And that that was his weapon of choice was the was the pills the amphetamines that that and kind so, of messed with your brain wouldn't it at that oh, point it messed with him big time and so um once he gets to columbia you he starts to go downhill and by the time you get to the mid 60s he is in a really bad place um still touring yeah, at that time he ends up leaving his wife. He's he had four daughters with her. He pretty much abandons them, and uh, ends up falling in love with a singer named June Carter, who was part of a famous singing uh, group called the Carter Family. Mm-hmm. And they fall in love together, and that's kind of like him and June Carter are like, it's like one of the greatest romances in celebrity. But he was already married. He was already married when they started their affair. And so it, it had a a, uh, a CD beginning, but eventually they got married and once they got married, it was like, that was the love of his life. Hmm. When, when she died in 03, he died four months after her. Oh. Sad. Um, but he finally made attempts to get clean in 68. And it was at that time that he released the live record live at Folsom prison, which was recorded at a prison. That's pretty cool. And he had a song called Folsom prison blues. So of course it was like, it was perfect for him to perform there. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was the record that really broke him into the mainstream because in 68 that's the time when like classic rock was really beginning you know this is this is the time of zeppelin and the who uh the beatles were nearing the end of their career but they were making some of their best music at that time the stones were getting huge uh the doors and Jimi hendrix and those were all the big bands of 68 Pink Floyd. Um, and so when that live record came out, it was raw. It was dirty. Uh, it was, you know, you've, he's, he's bring he brings out all of his outlaw songs that he wrote. Cause he, you know, he had his gospel songs, his night 
you know, play to my church going country audience. But then he also had his songs that, you know, sung true to the hard lip people. But was he like the dark side? Was it just like drugs or was. No, he had an immense sadness that he always carried with him in this darkness. His, he had a brother growing up that he was very close to that uh, died in a sawmill accident. Hmm. And there's the whole reason he became a musician was because his brother was going to be a preacher and he was going to be his music someday. No, hmm. they were going to be a partnership. So he felt that he owed to him to, to, continue singing to make his brother proud but he his his family has always said that he never got over that incident that it's something a trauma that he carried with him his whole life and the fact that uh his father told him i rather it would have been you than him that that would do it Mm -hmm. but like i i guess like who's that other person i can't remember who else we talked about that one time but like like going to jail, getting in trouble with the law, like yep. or was this just like, oh, yep. I do drugs and I have affairs on the side, or, or is it like the yeah, outlaw he personality? He, he did. Yeah, he he got so desperate for drugs, the because uh, the way he would get his drugs is he could get them over the counter. Again, that's just this was a time before people yeah. realized that this was bad. But of course, he was taking way more than was being prescribed. Yeah, and got to the point where he couldn't get enough and so he went down to Juarez to to get some in large bulk and when he got back into El Paso he got busted and went to the prison for like four weeks hmm. and so you know he's he has he has lived much of what he has written you know and that's the thing that I've always liked about him is that when you hear him singing it feels real you believe him like this just it's not a front it's not an act like how you feel some country artists are when they're talking about their cowboy hats and their tractors and mm-hmm. here and you're just like you've never done those things in your life yeah it's just it's it's the character you're deciding to put on johnny cash it feels real even when you know it isn't real you believe it is. Yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. And he was able to just tap in again to that, that darkness and that sadness. And just to get, and that rebelliousness that he had, he was a rebel. He never liked to, to play by the rules. Anytime told him, someone told him he can't do it. He turned around and went and did it. Rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was rock and roll. He, even though he was country, he had a rock and roll spirit about him, and that's why he connected with that audience at that time. Said him and said he's another Dylan. That was the comparison that everyone made. He's the country Dylan, and so record ex- it exploded. It's still his best selling record. And then he did another prison album right after that at San Quentin, which is another incredible record. And San Quentin being another prison. And that kind of started, that was his second glory period, was from like 68 to 73. How does that work, though? I mean, um, 
uh, like recording a live album out of prison. So they would do it in the cafeteria, and they just rearrange the cafeteria to be uh, to have seating for everyone. And of course, you had all the armed guards. <laughs> there was always this tension. Like he would, he would say something that the that would get the inmates riled up and then he'd be like nervously looking at the guards going oh i hope they don't kick me off here <laughs> oh my god and the whole, the, they, they'd be telling us just like why are you singing all of these outlaw songs wouldn't you uh wouldn't you rather try and help them forget that they're in prison he's just like they know that they're in prison <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he always had a soft spot for the downtrodden and the outcast of society because he always felt that he was one himself. And so he always sung about the underdog. He always sung about the people that were um, the minority, the people that were oppressed, the people in chains, figuratively and literally. And he he was their champion he didn't he didn't sing about all the beautiful people hmm. so a lot of people connected him with it in that way is, um, that, is that where the significance of San Quentin comes from yeah I mean it was it, he he was when you hear him singing to them it feels like one of their own is singing to them. It doesn't well, sound like someone that's, you know, I'm better than you. I'm just going to come and entertain you. He's singing to them because he's one of them. And well, you I mean, feel like that. The, the significance of the place itself, like the fact that he recorded an album there, is that why Metallica ended up recording St. Anger there? The, the oh, video. I didn't realize that's where St. Anger was recorded, the music the, video. The, yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I did not well, know. I imagine there's probably some tie-in, or maybe. Well, San Quentin is notoriously a, one of the most brutal prisons in America. So there you go. That's where that's where like a lot of the m most hardened criminals are. It's a maximum security prison. There you go. Okay. Um, but anywho, the reason why that glory period ended was because he got a little too soaked sucked into his um in his good times he got lazy he took his songwriting for granted and he became so religious at this point that he started to record and pick the songs not because they sounded good but because he liked the message and the message started to become less and less clever and more very on the nose you know jesus 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 Mm -hmm. Which again would have been fine had the music also not been really dry during this point. Yeah. And this low period lasted for almost 20 years. So he pretty much just became a gospel artist. Not necessarily, though. That's what started it. But then once he too late realized that he was becoming irrelevant, the drugs came back. Ugh. And so he had another 10-year period where he was embroiled in drugs and making really terrible creative decisions. So that's where our bad music podcast is going to pick up. Yep.
that that period from about 75 to 93 is really rough really really rough but he didn't stop no so his his third period is his late career comeback and in my opinion it's the greatest late career comeback in music history it's it's incredible what happened so are you guys familiar with rick rubin uh so he is one of the greatest producers of all time he's pretty much the guy that in well can't say he invented hip-hop but he's the guy that got hip-hop on the map he Mm -hmm. uh he's the guy that found nwa and public enemy and beastie boys and kind of like had hip-hop's first big records he Mm -hmm. also made slayers rain and blood on the side (laughs) that that would kind of get you uh what a guy recognized he got the red hot chili peppers big um He's the he's the one that made Metallica's Death Magnetic. Um, he That's a big one. Yeah, that was a comeback for them. Mm-hmm. Um, he is someone that was really keen at finding an artist's spirit and helping them plug into it, especially. And Cash was the first one he did this for, but he ended up becoming he the guy for if you are down on your luck artist and you're trying to reclaim your former glory. Rick Rubin's the guy you call because he knows how to light that fire in you again. Mm-hmm. Cash was really the first one he did that for. Um, he met with him and he was the first producer really ever that knew how to work with Johnny because Johnny was always throughout his life filled with yes men. I was yeah. just going, whatever Johnny wants to do, we'll do it. And it all just depended then on us out of Johnny, but hoping that Johnny had the best already. Mm-hmm. He was the first one to constantly, on a constant basis, toe the line of not disrespecting him and hurting his confidence by telling him songs suck because he never did that. But he would always have him go, well, what if we tried it this way? Or I think that you can find something more impactful here. How about we change this lyric? Or how about we look at this influence? And immediately, the first record that they made together, American Recordings, was a landmark record. Got him his first Grammy. And it introduced him to an entire new generation of listeners. He went... He was... At ninety four, at Woodstock ninety four with Nine Inch Nails, and doing a an, a a headlining set, and everyone was a fan of it. So he, at you know, in his sixties, kind of had this late career renaissance, and because of the fact that he had a guy like Ruben that was very contemporary minded, he brought him some crazy covers to do. Like he did, he freaking did Soundgarden's Rusty Cage, and it was awesome. <laughs> what an ear to be like, this song would be great for Johnny. Yeah, well, he just, the, the thing he always looked at is does, can, does it sound believable if Johnny Cash says these words? Yeah. And his, his backing band was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers during this oh. period. What? Tom Petty <laughs> yeah. or just the Heartbreakers? Both. Oh wow! I played bass on his albums. Oh my! 
That is really cool. He was also working with Tom Petty, helping him have a late career in the 90s. Which worked for him. So, yeah, and he was – so he was doing stuff like I Won't Back Down, and uh, he did uh, U2's One, and he was doing stuff by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, which – they're the same guys, Grant, you would recognize that did a lover man from the Garage Inc. record. So you can I don't know that whole record by heart. You would know Lover Man. Okay. And just, you know, finding a lot of just very unorthodox. While at the same time Johnny Cash kind of bringing some either songs that he had just kind of sitting in his vault or reimaginings of old songs or just songs he was just like, I've loved this song ever since I was a kid and I've always wanted to do it. Yeah. But now that he had this new aesthetic that he was able to plug it into, those last four records are his best records, all four of them. That's awesome. I mean it's always it, nice whenever it's like Yeah. So how so how did it come to an end? Um about the time that he made the first of those four records, his health really started to decline. Just a, he was he was off the drugs finally again, but, but at this point it, it had really taken its toll. Yeah. He eventually got to the point to where he was wheelchair bound, that he had tons of heart issues, tons of breathing issues. He had a rare form of Parkinson's. He was just about blind at one point and was had a somehow broke his jaw and didn't know it. Wow. Like for a year lived with immense jaw pain, but never went to the doctor. And then finally went to the doctor and said, um, your jaw's been broken for a year. And he's like, I don't know how that happened. That's kind of rock and roll though. Mm-hmm. It's very him to be like, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just, it got to the point and everyone was like, there was about a three year period from 2000 to 2003 where like everyone was holding their breath waiting for the call. And he went into a coma several times, but always came back. But then just randomly out of the blue, June Carter died. And that was kind of the last straw for him. Yeah. He didn't really have a reason to fight anymore. Mm hmm. He, he couldn't live to be without her. And mm. so, um, so yeah, then he died. So she died in, in April and he died in September. Wow. And he was only 71. It was all the amphetamines that yep, caught up kinda, to him. Kinda you got could to always it. tell on the album covers when the drugs started to get bad because you would see this this almost 10 year leap in age he would all of a sudden age significantly and just like you would see like this was him in 75 this is him in 77 and you would think 10 years had gone by Hmm. all right and so so yeah, that's and and that's still a pretty abridged version of his history, but it's important because this episode we're not going to be concentrating on a specific era. We're going to yeah. be we're going to be shooting all over the timeline. So this is, a, this is a true first exposure to Johnny Cash. Yes. So you had mentioned that um, 
we have 34 hours of ranked content. I don't know if you mentioned it to us or if you mentioned it on the episode. but uh, No, I mentioned that playlist. to you guys earlier. <laughs> right. So on, on our ranked playlist for every artist we have, or Lucas has for every artist, there's 34 hours of songs. But you mentioned that's not even all of them. So no. what what did you leave out? The posthumous releases. Okay. So everything that was released during his lifetime has been ranked and we're going to... As far as I know, there's even there's also compilations that I haven't fully dug into that there could be stuff on there. Okay. Like, you know, obscure B-sides or live-only cuts that yeah. could be from his lifetime that I just didn't get. Mm-hmm. But this is – and also I listened to a 24-hour audiobook biography. Wow. And finished it. So <laughs> this this was by far the most daunting and I'm sure probably will be for a long time the most daunting research I've ever done but man was it worth it. So are we are we mainly going to be listening to like lyrical content here? Yeah, I mean obviously there's going to be yeah. some cool musical moments but the the lyrics are the main focus. Because he's like very folky, like in the way that he writes, right? Yeah, and especially very, story- very heavy storytelling, very heavy. Mm-hmm. It's very story driven, and it's 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 not very like conceptual, touchy feely. No, not really. If it if it is, it means typically that it's a cover. Yeah. When he writes, he typically is telling a story. Typically, I mean, we'll see exceptions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and his singing style, he, he doesn't sing as much as he kind of talks through his songs. And so like, he's not a traditional singer. Like he's got this very low, deep voice, this, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And he'll, he'll converse with you through his songs. In fact, there's even, I found a whole lot of albums on here that were spoken word really with a little bit of music peppered here and there he was a girl if he had been alive in the age of audiobooks he would have made a fortune just on that but it wasn't it wasn't lulu spoken word it was actually good i assume Mm, some of it okay typically when he started to go to spoken word stuff it meant that he was running low on creativity but his spoken word is much better than anyone else's because he just, he had the voice for it. And the storytelling chops. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times if you heard spoken word, it, it was kind of like, uh Oh, but, but in his songs, he would be very, um, he would be very conversational. And that was another thing that helped make him very relatable is that you felt like you were talking to him. And he had he had the same band for a very long time. We'll we'll briefly talk about his band. The uh, what started off as the uh, the Tennessee Two, and then eventually became the Tennessee Three. In fact, that was that was going to be their name, the Tennessee Three. It wasn't going to be Johnny Cash, and then he got signed, and they said we wanted to be Johnny Cash and the Tennessee Two. He was like, <laughs> so you had uh, you had Luther Perkins on guitar. And uh, Marshall Grant on 
and then him playing acoustic guitar and singing. And then, like, usually if they had drums, it was like a session guy would come in. And and then, of course, every, occasional other uh, instruments would be filled by session players. But that was, like, the core band. Uh, Luther died in 69 when he accidentally burned his house down by falling asleep with a lit cigarette in his hand. Oh, that's a horrible way to go. Yes. Yeah. And then um, in the 80s, when his the drugs got bad again, him and Grant had a very serious falling out. And uh, Johnny for defamation and he did not deserve it. It was it was drug fueled, and they kind of never really made up. Hmm. But like he was a guy that like he used the same guys, which was kind of abnormal for someone that came from his time to have like a band that stuck with him for a long period. He was kind of loyal to his guys. Mm-hmm. His guys were loyal to him. It's true too. Yeah. Well, I'm ready to listen to some storytelling lyrics. All right. Yeah, there's it's a lot to cover. Like I, I unfortunately can't cover it all in one segment, but we'll 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 really illuminate a lot once we get into these songs. So we're gonna go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the six songs that we have picked for this episode. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode of the Good Music Podcast is brought to you by Southern Safe Rooms. When severe weather threatens, you want the maximum protection for you and those you love. If an intruder forces their way into your home, you need a secure space for you and your family to take shelter in order to stay safe. If you want a secure place to store your guns, guitars, or other valuables like drums, a custom shelter is the solution you need. Southern Safe Rooms builds custom certified safe rooms that can be installed in your home, garage, workshop, or anywhere you have a concrete reinforced slab. Southern Safe Rooms builds all of our safe rooms in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and can install them on any reinforced concrete slab. The Southern Safe Rooms custom storm shelters can withstand wind speeds of up to 250 miles per hour. Southern Safe Rooms have been tested by Texas Tech University and are built to exceed FEMA standards to withstand an EF5 tornado. The Southern Certified Safe Room is constructed with the highest quality materials, far exceeding conventional storm shelter construction. With over 110 years, count them, of steel manufacturing experience, Southern Safe Rooms knows how to build a secure shelter for your home. Call 918 918- Five eight four three three seven one, or visit our website southernsaferooms.com Welcome back everyone to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Johnny Cash and his entire career and we've been talking about the country genre as a whole as we're dipping into country for the first time on this podcast. Very exciting time. And it's time to get into our second segment, our six songs segment. So for those of you who are new, welcome to the podcast. We're glad you're here. And Lucas, can you explain to those of us who are new what the purpose of this segment is? 
So for those of you that are unfamiliar with Johnny Cash or maybe are uh, Johnny Cash naysayers, this set of six is going to be your best first steps into listening to him. So it's not just me picking what are my favorite Johnny Cash songs or what best songs rather what are the six songs you need to start with that give you the best first picture as well as picking songs that transition well off of each other that make sense in a flow and that by the end you have a cathartic emotional experience um ethan and grant have no idea what these songs are yet um they're going to be listening to them live as we talk about them if you would like to uh, join in with them. There is a link in the description of the episode to a Spotify playlist. We're going to count down three, two, one, and we're going to hit play. If you hit play at the same time that we do, you'll be able to hear kind of a little commentary track. So uh, if you want to participate in that, you can. Um, we're going to start with one of his most iconic songs. But this is not the original version of the song. This is going to be live from Folsom Prison. Okay. Yeah. So then, in you said before, this was like the big one. Yes. This this, this, this is still his biggest record. Wow. And it's it's really good. <laughs> um. But this, even though this was recorded in '68, this was one of the first songs that he ever wrote. So in a way, it is kind of starting at the beginning. Okay. But you guys are going to get a nice little greeting at the beginning, which is what made me feel like it'd be appropriate as the first song in our set. All right. So I think we're going to count us in. Jump in with Folsom Prison Blues in three, two, one, play. Oh, awesome. <laughs> well, hello, Johnny Cash. So Folsom Prison, he wrote while he was still in the Navy. And it was inspired by a movie that he saw about uh, prisoners in Folsom. And he wrote it from the perspective of what it would be like to be a prisoner there. Mm. And this is just a classic country song, train song, prison song. But it's the second verse that is the most iconic part of this. So if you listen here. Okay. Always be a good boy. Don't ever play with guns. Mm, yeah. But I shot Whoa. a man you know, just to watch him die. <laughs> and that everyone's cheering. That old thing said by a non musician. I don't know what is. But he regrets so, it, kind of. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's hilarious that here in the prison, he sings that and everyone cheers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just this weird happens. dichotomy of like, my mom told me to be good and never play with guns, but then I shot him and just watch him die, but I can't sleep now. Yeah, you know? and it's just the thing. It's like he didn't shoot him for money. He just to watch him die. Talk right, about sin. What are these lyrics? So, yeah, <laughs> the whole song is about his desire to be free and to keep moving. Yeah. Which has been a theme throughout his entire career. Mm -hmm. He has always it's the reason why he loved touring so much is that he always was restless when he was at home and so he felt that throughout his life that he had these different prisons that helped him really relate even though at this point he had not been in prison he saw being in the air force as a type of prison 
yeah. even saw his marriage as a type of prison. And then mm-hmm. eventually he was in a real prison. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the emotion that he's drawing off of, the loneliness that he felt. Because mm-hmm. he was stationed in Germany. Oh. And at the time, writing to his then-to-be first wife, missing her, and feeling like he had no friends, and just being completely alone. So yeah. Folsom Prison is in Germany, then? Or not? Mm-hmm. Am, am I mixing things up? No, Folsom okay. is in uh, California. Okay. Cool. Yep. So I was now, mixing things up. As you'll notice, these songs are quite short, so we'll be moving through them pretty quickly. Uh, now we're on to an iconic one, guys. Ring of Fire. Oh, yeah. This song... Uh, this is a classic. This was smack dab in the middle of his, the worst of his drug days in the mid-60s. Really? This was actually a, a song that helped save his career. He was right about to be dropped by his label. And June Carter wrote this song right as they were beginning their affair. <laughs> and originally recorded by her sister Anita as uh, Love's Ring of, Burning Ring of Fire. And she ended up giving it to Johnny. He recorded it, became a number one country hit, and pretty much saved his career. Wow. So what is this about? Uh, it's about Johnny. She wrote it about Johnny and the feelings that she was starting to feel for him. Aww. And about how she felt so strongly and that love was so thrilling. Yet at the same time, fire burns. She knew that what, especially since she was, he was still married at the time, and she was still married to her second husband, uh, they knew that what they were doing could burn them to the ground. Yet, at the same time, it was irresistible. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I went, yeah, I went down, 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 and the flames kept getting higher. Yeah, it's good. And yet, he follows it up with the taste of love is sweet. And so it's just, yeah it's it's this it's this this dual nature of love, it's mm-hmm. it's wonderful yet painful at the same time. Yeah, weird, weird like the the weird like positive and negative energy together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you guys pulling from the song musically? What's what's sticking out to you? The horns. Yeah, the the kind of. Um, it, uh, I, I guess I don't know the right term for the, it. Makes it sound mariachi. very southwestern. Yeah, it was. Th- those were legitimate mariachi musicians that he recruited for this song. That was one of those decisions that was kind of a drug decision that ended up for one of the few times being the right decision. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's some Man. artists that can only write on drugs, you know. Mm-hmm. Had he not, not one of them. had he not had a hit with this song he wouldn't have made it to 68 to have a big comeback yeah this... we wouldn't really be talking about him would we mm-hmm. so and that's kind of an important song yeah so it's, it's still like deeply it's like all the songs are like two minutes and 30 seconds long but they're so jam-packed with meaning yeah, yeah. so it's like you blink and they're gone so i walk the line is his biggest song this was the song that turned him into a superstar when it came out in 57. Okay. It, it was his first country chart topper. Stayed there for like 12 weeks. You said this was the uh, this was one of the top selling country songs of all time. It is the top selling country it is song. The... Okay. So what is the song about? 
So this was a song that he wrote to his first wife as a pledge to be faithful to her, assuring her that he will not fool around while he is gone, that he only thinks of her, which this song has, you know, has almost become a a much different song when he failed in his promise. Yeah. It's almost it's Cause now it's like tongue in cheek. Yeah. Or almost the 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 empty promises of someone who can't keep his word. Yeah. I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day is through pretty much. He's telling us, it's like, I promise I'm by myself. I'm not with anyone. Yeah. I walk the line. I'm right on the straight yes. and narrow. But at the same time, I walk the line means that you are intentionally uh, keeping yourself, even though maybe you don't want to. Hmm. It, there's there's it's not quite a it's not because you're mine I will always be truthful to you it's I've walked the line it's not a necessarily romantic statement yeah you give me cause for love that I can't hide for you I would even try to turn the tide it's yeah. very poetic it's yeah. even with this simple idea, his words here, his choice of words. And I think this is also maybe the strongest melody he's ever written. Yeah. This is a very, very tuneful song. And we get also a great example here on his incredible deep voice. I can't even, I have trouble singing an octave above this because I don't have a very low register. Yeah, Lucas is a very high range. Listen to how low he gets here. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the line. <laughs> like, oh, even along with this as an octave higher, I still struggle to hit that note. But it's, yeah, it's yeah. easy to see why this was a country smash. Yeah. 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 All right. Now we're on to Don't Take Your Guns to Town. Don't do this, it. This is one of his great story songs. So, a young boy that uh wants to be a cowboy he leaves his house he's got his guns with him but then he hears his mother's passionate cry mm -hmm. and there's there's almost this this dark foreshadowing as soon as why is she does she know something that we don't know that he doesn't know yeah mm -hmm. but this was inspired by all of the old western this is his old western story but it's it's got a very strong message in it. Listen to your mother; she knows best. Yeah. And, and the, the kid's like explaining himself, mm -hmm. like justifying that he's. And I love how this is the chorus. the The music stops every time it comes to this. Yeah. And it gets it almost gets sadder every time he says it. Yeah, yeah because like it, yeah, it sounds like. But then, yet in the meantime, time, it's and then it it's keeps like, prodding along. Yeah. He's trying to block it out of his mind. He's trying mm -hmm. to be upbeat, to live his life, and yet it's this voice at the back of his head that keeps nagging at him. He stopped and walked into a bar and laid his money down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this was uh, another number one country hit for him. This was on his first album for Columbia. And so Columbia was very excited when... Uh, initially that first record did really really well but it was right after that that everything started to go downhill in that first 
drug period mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. man this is an interesting story I'm yeah it's a little bit hard to commentate because i'm just like yeah mm-hmm. this, he like has he has me <laughs> yes <laughs> <You know? laughs> story is very strong here it's and this was like the town takes his first drink of liquor to calm himself, but we don't know, but we don't know why he. So I guess we're about to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like the music has picked up, and almost in a way like the swing is he... a little bit ominous, kind of like the end of uh, the trial. Ah. Uh. Oop. Yep. Oh, there it is. His final words. Yeah, his final words were his mom's words. Mm-hmm. This was the first Johnny Cash song I ever heard, and I remember I heard that song. I was like, "Wow, that was really interesting." Well, it's kind now of like, we're gonna it, 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 we're, we're gonna do something a little different here. We don't normally do this. We're gonna actually watch a music video for this next song. Oh boy. So, I'm gonna have to resist the urge to click on all my YouTube recommended right now. (laughs) We're gonna listen and watch, and I would recommend you guys do as well. We're gonna watch the music video for of Nine Inch Nails Hurt. Oh, this was type in Johnny Cash Hurt is the first thing that pops up. Yep. Well, it's it's the only. He it's, was not a music video kind of guy, so it's like it's if you're gonna uh, search man. up a video. But this has kind of become like his main song now. So this is gonna be interesting because we also talked about Hurt last week in our nine inch nails. And this is what gave me the idea that I wanted to do Johnny Cash next is to have two episodes back to back with the same exact song. Not in the yeah. same place on the playlist though. No. Kind of surprised. So, um, I don't it's, know. If it's a lot know. shorter. I guess he doesn't have the weird outro. Yeah, you probably wouldn't expect it. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know if you guys will have ads. I have uh, YouTube premium, so it's I, not. I got through my ads. Same. Okay. So then, uh, we're I'll ready. Hit play ready. here. And we'll go three, two, one, play. So this music video is filmed at um, the Johnny Cash or the House of Cash Museum, which was run down and closed to the public at the time. Hmm. This was one of the last songs he recorded before he passed away. So this was him at the end of his life. And this very well could be the greatest cover song of all time. He Hmm. took something that was so personal to Trent Reznor and made it his own. Because now it's not from the perspective of someone that is in the throes of drug addiction, but someone at the end of his life looking back with regret at the way he lived his life. Yeah. And this, 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 this naked uh, vulnerability to show himself as he was at this time. And like, oh, all this stuff. This is sad. This it's, is really sad. All the flashbacks of him whenever he was young. Oh, and is that his wife? What, 
overarching line to say was that, that his wife goes away at the end. Was Be- that his wife? The picture was what? His wife. She was still alive at this point, but she died very soon after this video. In fact, we'll see her in this video. She'll be standing at the top of the stairs looking down at him. Oh, man. He hit that note so low. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was turning on. So he's, like, reliving his life through the museum, kind of. But the museum is dilapidated. It's running. Yeah. He's at the, at the, at the table. <laughs> yeah. And yet it means nothing to him. The whole song is completely transformed through his perspective. That is so weird. I've never seen a better example of reinterpreting lyrics to match. And he didn't change hardly a word. Yeah. Like all the words are pretty much the same. It's just, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. What he's done to this song. Wow. And so there's June Carter standing there. You can you can tell just both of them are lived yeah. long, hard lives. Oh, uh, and then the flashback of them. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Mm. Oh, it's like shaky hand. Mm-hmm. I mean just you you talk about haunting. That's an image that shakes you to your bones. Oh, it says Empire of Dirt. And uh-huh. it's all his, like, awards. Wow. There's the- religious imagery. It's just, it's powerful. It's so powerful. Wow. Well. When Trent Reznor, Trent Trent was very reluctant to allow him to cover this song because it's like this is so such a personal song. I don't see how anyone can cover it. And Rick Rubin kind of it's just like trust me, he needs to make this. And so he recorded the song. Trent heard it and said, "Okay, sure, whatever." But then he showed him the video, and Trent said, "When he saw the video, it all of a sudden hit him." And he said, gosh dang it, this isn't my song anymore. Yeah. He's he has taken it from me and he deserves to. Yeah, I is it weird to say that I like the Johnny Cash version better? No, yeah. most people do. I feel like just someone the it's the song feels so much more deep and rich mm-hmm. through this lens. Yeah, it's uh I mean, just again, it's it's this this whole other uh, perspective that has uh, been on top of it. And again, without changing a thing, wow. he just changed a little bit of the arrangement. But it's it's his life exactly. So now we're gonna go back to Spotify and we're gonna end things because while that is emotional and sad deep i didn't want to end that way with johnny cash yeah please don't end on a depressive note (laughs) i wanted to end on something inspiring and uplifting and so we're gonna go to the final song of the set a song that i guess you could say is 
theme song, Man in Black. So we're gonna we're gonna hit uh play again on here in three, two, one. So this was in the middle of his second revival period that he wrote this song. And you could almost see this as like this this could play to the end credits of the yeah. life of Johnny Cash. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the but the poetry he uses here is so beautiful. <laughs> Why does my appearance mm-hmm. seem to have a song in tow? Is funny. <laughs> the the you can hear his heart for people in this song. Yeah, and that he never forgot that there were always people that had it worse off. Did he actually wear black for this reason? No, but it's the reason he kept wearing it. He originally wore it because he didn't have anything else. Yeah. But then as time went on, because again, he the 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 fad as country music started to get bigger was to wear colorful clothes and he this was a very specific uh statement. So then he yeah, he made a decision to keep wearing black. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is this is completely different after listening to Hurt. Mm-hmm. It's almost like maybe I'm reading too much into it and my own personal experience, but it feels like it's kind of cheapened. It almost sounds what? It almost sounds cheapened. It sounds like because we just had this really intense moment. Now it's just like everything else has been overshadowed by hurt. Not to be metaphorical and literal. To me... I also, I also think it's a little unfair because hurt was produced by someone in what year? It wasn't three. So, it was not the year he died. But then Man in Black was produced in... In 71. Yeah. So I feel like there's a big, dis- big era disparity as well. True. I mean, but to me, I think that you find the heart of Johnny Cash here shining yeah. brightly. It's, yeah. um, it's, you can see, even though that he made a lot of mistakes, you can see through this song where his heart was. He wanted to do good desperately and he did do good. Even though he made mistakes, even though he did things that he regretted, he always tried to do what was best. He tried. And you can you can see in this song what he believed in. All right. And so Till things are a little brighter, he'll be the man in black. Hmm. What a guy. Mm-hmm. That, man, you talked about this set jumping around and it did. That was no that was no uh empty statement. Yeah, we we definitely ran the game there. Wow, okay. Not even <laughs> not just the the hurt, but the uh but all the other songs as well had a different kind of philosophy to them mm-hmm. they all they all kind of showed us a little something different yep 
All right. Wow. Well, we'll uh, we'll get into some deep discussion, I'm sure, here in our next segment. Yep. But um, we'll go ahead and take another break here. When we come back, we are going to give our final thoughts and dissect what we thought of the set. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done listening to our six-song set for the week from Johnny Cash, which was Folsom Prism's Blues, Ring of Fire, I Walked the Line, Don't Take Your Guns to Town, Hurt, and Man in Black. And now it's time for final thoughts. This is just where, you know, at the beginning of the episode, we um, give a ranking or we talk about where we've heard the band before, where we've heard Johnny before. And in final thoughts, we just, how has our discussion changed our opinion? How has the set list changed our opinion? So, Grant, you are always the one to start us off. So, final thoughts, go. Man. I feel like we learned a whole lot more about the artist's personality than their music this time. <laughs> Which is always, like, an interesting episode. and And that kind of like I don't I don't know because obviously we're talking about music and so we're going to be talking about the product that they create but at the same time like especially we saw or at least I saw with the hurt cover was that the music was essentially the same as 9 inch nails you know but coming from a different person and having a different perspective to it made the music a little bit more valuable and a little bit more um not not necessarily relatable but just the whole package was was more valuable i don't know how to explain it i don't know how to explain it i think it, it created so more much... more depths of content yeah it wasn't so much it wasn't so much the content itself it was just kind of the depth of the content that was there right yeah, um, and I thought that was really interesting. I think that kind of changes, or at least for me, has a little bit of an impact on how I'll probably be looking at the artist song relationship from here on out. You know, at least that'll be in the back of my head from now on. Um, but on a more like bare bones level, I enjoyed the songs. I didn't enjoy them uh, musically, right? It's just not my you know, cup of, cup of tea, you know, but I liked the lyrics and I liked the stories behind them and all that stuff. And I think that's kind of the whole point of the music that we're talking about today. And so I liked it. And so for, for the purpose that it was designed for, I give it like, I don't know if I can really say I can give it a seven, but I'll give it a seven. Cause I seven means a seven means that, there is a song or some songs that you love from the artist. That is true. All right. That's that pretty true. good. All right. I would say for me, and I am not usually this way, I got very emotional during watching the music video. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm usually not that way. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I don't, and I don't know why it hit me like that, but I, but I was like, kind of rubbing some tears out of the old eyes. It, it hit me too the first couple times I watched it. I was just like, oh god. I was just like, man, 
in a way you kind of wish you didn't see it because it's like it's it's so haunting but it's it's haunting in a a harrowing way like like it's like the the regret like you know like it's kind of like everyone's secret worst fears like getting to the end of their life and just regretting it all you know it's like seeing that from someone like johnny cash that's what is sad and disturbing about it yeah is just seeing him in a dilapidated house of all of the things that he's ever accomplished singing about how it doesn't matter and you know he's just like it was really all nothing it's just like man you know Mm-hmm. my empire of dirt so obvious obviously you know hurt is my favorite song out of the set easily uh and i wouldn't say easily meaning that all the other songs are bad but i think the, the hurt has the most it's almost like Folsom prison blues and ring of fire and i walk the line and don't take your guns to town man in black all of those songs are like kind of still like the country folky i have a little song it's almost like a it feels like a more advanced version of like a like a tall tale you know mm-hmm. like a like a bedtime story like you know kind of like a little red riding hood or something but like better you know yeah um still really good hurt just really took me off guard just with like johnny cash didn't write those kinds of songs you know mm-hmm. or maybe he did in like the in his in the late like the last period maybe he started going into it but like for him to just like kind of lay it all out there like that and not just be like a, here's a story of a guy that grew old and regretted everything you know and seeing it from like his perspective i think made the difference i would say i am a the only reason that I'm not an eight is because I don't know more songs, I would say. You're definitely intrigued at this point. So, so I am I am a seven because I love Hurt. Um, but to be qualified as an eight, it would be like, I love almost all of these songs, you know? And there's just, I just haven't heard enough Johnny Cash to be like, oh my gosh, I like every single song that comes out on, I'm a huge fan. I would almost even, and I don't, I don't know enough about country, but like, this is country technically, but it doesn't feel like the country that I don't like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, because I feel the same. It's like, it's like the and and I don't mean it like oh the songwriting is like so much better, you know, because sonically it's different, and. Instrumentation wise, it's different, and the and the way that he's writing, and the way that the song structure is, is all different, you know. And so, it's it's kind of making me think, like what you said at the very beginning. It's like why why am I down for some Johnny Cash, but I'm not down for, um, I guess like a Tim McGraw or uh, you know, even like a. Or Carrie Underwood, or, you know, like, what makes me so, I don't know, that's a question that I have to ask myself, like, what what do I, because we talk so technically about music here, like, why music is good, or why music is bad, but I guess I've never really been faced with, like, a Tim McGraw album, and someone be like, tell me why you don't like it, which 
I guess maybe, hopefully, we'll be maybe someday we'll get into like a modern country artist that is actually good, and and maybe they can show me the way. But as of right now, I, you know, even like Keith Urban, who's like, you know, even for people that don't really like country, like a lot of the guitar players that I know, I really like Keith Urban's stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm still even. Like the songwriting is better, but there's still just something about it that I don't like. <laughs> yeah. No offense to you, Keith Urban, if you're listening to it. It's the same reason why I don't really like metal, you know. It's just <laughs> but anyways, that's probably a longer, but like maybe that, that might be a discussion for another day is just really dissecting country. Um, but Johnny Cash is is definitely we almost need like a separate ranking for like bands that like we are one million percent gonna start digging into afterwards you know Uh because it is a seven but it's only because that's the highest that i can rank it Mm -hmm. but holy crap like if, if you're listening to this and like you have the opportunity to go watch the hurt music video like i think that that's the thing it's almost like watching a movie where like you like the whole movie is like a flashback but like at the very first scene of the movie it's like the last part of the movie and it's almost like how did it how did we get here you know that's kind of what hurt was to me is like you see the end of the journey and then it's like man i i need to go really piece together from the beginning what happened to get us here anyways that's my final thoughts um Grant, you never told us what your favorite song is, but I have a feeling. Oh, yeah, it's, I have to say, it's Hurt only because of the music video. But I also, that's not because I didn't like all the other songs. Like, if it weren't for Hurt, Don't Take Your Guns to Town would be the definite winner. (laughs) That's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, not Ring of Fire. No. No, because I I think that I think Lucas made a very good point that kind of the rhythm and the music interplay on uh, "Don't Take Your Guns to Town" with the lyrics—it's a very story-driven song. It puts it a little bit ahead, where "Ring of Fire" is kind of like "Ooh, cool metaphors and cool lyrics and oh, cool music." It's like that's good, and there's no denying that that's a good song and that's a great song. But when you kind of have them play off of each other and you get something like don't take your guns to town i walk the line is also really interesting now that like as even as i'm looking through all these songs i'm just like man these are all great (laughs) like great (laughs) great songs well-written songs yep yep so that is that's my favorite is hurt all right i'll give my final thoughts now um so Obviously, I've I now have such a large amount of his discography under my belt. I know yeah. his full history, so I think that I could say pretty confidently that I'm at a nine. Whoa! Wow! I have so much respect for his music, and there's so many of his like, wow, what an incredible song. Even like the deep cuts, because the nine is the love of the deep cuts. Yeah. Oh man, like yeah. There's you. You start going through here, and it's just like, good God, it's a long time before the songs start getting not great. I mean, it's like what? It's like six hundred songs. Yeah. 
<laughs> when do they start getting bad at what number? <laughs> Ooh, um, I would say probably once you get past the first 100, that's when it starts to get only okay. <laughs> Which is still amazing. And then I would say the next, like, 400 after that are all pretty similar in quality. That's it. Wow. So, like, to put out 500 okay songs is pretty cool. But then you then the last 100 is pretty bad. But if you think about that in terms of, like, an album. Yeah. Like, what is that? So, one good song for every 100. And then, so one good song, four okay songs, and one bad song. I mean, that's, I mean, if you take a 12-song album, that's kind of your typical... Two, but we're talking like two incredible, incredible songs. I mean, that's if you take your typical legendary album, right? There's probably going to be two incredible songs on it, ten that are okay-ish, and two that you're like, not really. But for a discography that huge to be that consistent is pretty. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh huh. It's it's remarkable. There's there's good stuff from every. Even his really, what you would call your overall bad periods, they're still, like, randomly, it'd be like, oh, wow, where did this great song come from? Well, I've, I'm saying most of the artists that we talk on here where it's like, all the songs are good. It's like, you have four albums. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you haven't, like, you're still running off of that Kickstarter energy, you know? Mm-hmm. You, you talk to me whenever you've made 600 songs and then we'll you know and those are only the released ones the, those aren't even the songs that he decided to not record in the studio yep this guy was a songwriting machine oh yeah he never stopped there would be times where there'd be like three albums in one year and i'm just like oh god <laughs> there's so much and that he wrote almost all of it is ridiculous I wouldn't. I would say he wrote half of it. Oh, so a lot of it was just covers. Yeah, but again, as you see with something like Hurt, he didn't just pick songs. Because we're not in a Aretha Franklin situation. He was incredibly smart about when he was at his best. He was incredibly smart about what songs he picked. But even still, that means he wrote almost four hundred songs. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, take that with what you want. Um, I mean, a, Hurt is just, it's its the obvious winner just because of all the context around it. But the second place song. I, th- I think I got to go with Don't Take Your Guns to yeah. Town. Yeah. It's just, it. I have sentimental value. Like I said earlier, it's the first Johnny Cash song I ever heard. And so there is there is that sentimental aspect to it. But then also it's just the story is just so good. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's so cinematic. Yeah. Even when we were talking about it, it was just like, it's hard to talk because I, I want to know what's happening in this song. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go ahead and give you guys now the official rankings of everything. Ooh. I want to I want to see if I can guess the the order of placement. Okay. I think that hurt is the highest ranked. 
Uh, do, you, do you want me to tell you as you get yeah. to it? Or... Yeah. Well, I'll start at the bottom. Okay. I think that... Uh... Oh, man. Folsom think... Prison Blues is at the bottom. Blues. Folsom Prison Blues. I, I think that Men in Black is is the bottom ranked. It is, but it's... Gosh, it's at number 13, though. Okay. For out and of then... 700 songs to get to number 13, what a what a high... Praise. And then I think that I Walk the Line is next. Uh, next is Don't Take Your Guns to Town. What? What? Okay. How, how could Wait, you? Sorry, hold on, hold on, hold on. I forgot that before Man in Black is Ring of Fire. Really? Oh, Ring of Fire is at the bottom? I oh put my lord. And then Man in Black at 13. But then uh, Don't Take Your Guns to Town is at number seven. And then what? No, I Want Lines at number three. Okay. Folsom Prison Blues at number two. And Hurt at number one. Folsom Prison Blues is great. It is. To me, with if Hurt hadn't been made, it would have stood as the iconic Johnny Cash song, in my opinion. Yeah. It's the one where you hear it and you instantly know everything you need to know. It's got storytelling. It's got that 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 dark sense to it. It's got the, the loneliness, the emotion. It's just Folsom Prison has everything. But then just Hurt is just, it lives on its own dimension. Yeah, it's it's weird to even compare it. Yeah. It's so it's so transcendental. And now and this is again what I think is really interesting. We've had the same song back to back weeks being the number one song by an artist. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> yeah, who, did, who else did it cover? First? Um, I don't think we want to listen to Leona Lewis's. Oh. We're listening oh, to the bad, bad Or uh, I think Miley Cyrus. I think Miley Cyrus did a cover also. No, she did not. Yeah, she did. I think. Oh. I... Really bad music podcast. I yes. wonder if it's that bad. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out sometime. Maybe we'll find out today. Ethan <laughs> mm, really wants to listen. I'm gonna just go. I'm gonna pop it on right now. I, while, I, while we're doing the outros. I thought I had seen that somewhere. But anyway, that is our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully that you guys, uh, if you're not already fans of Johnny Cash, that this hopefully gets you intrigued. The best way to get started is to click on the link in the description of the episode. It takes you to our Spotify playlist. It's got all the songs, not just from this episode, all of our previous episodes as well so make sure you check that out there's another link right there as well take you to our patreon page where we have early and exclusive content have the bad music podcast that we air exclusively there and it's going to be it's going to be pretty good tonight so you guys will want to make sure that you go check that out and um, make sure that you send us a message on instagram or facebook let us know what artists you want us to cover in the future and um, make sure to leave us a review uh, subscribe. We have new episodes every Monday morning, 9am central and next week is the last week of the month. 
And so it's time once again for our music history. We're going to be completely into the Baroque era. And we're going to be talking about one of the most famous uh, compositions of all time. uh, It's going to be pretty exciting. And that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music.